Hey, quick break to talk about our sponsor today. We're talking about HubSpot and their new AI-powered service hub. Okay, so what is service hub? Basically, every customer today wants to be talked to in a personalized way. And before, that required tons of human agents. But now, with AI, you could do that in a personalized way with fewer humans involved. And so you don't have to scale up your team in order to deliver personalized chat and service. So check out HubSpot's new service hub to use their AI tools to give better support to your customers. That's what they want and that's what they deserve. So visit HubSpot.com slash service to learn how this all new solution can help you deliver customer service with AI to your customers. You're good at doing this, which is you identify these lifestyle trends. You like pick up pretty quickly on like, there's a group of people that are deciding to like live under a different paradigm or different motto or creed. And actually that was like one of the best ways to build a business around that lifestyle because you can speak to that audience and you can differentiate a product super easily to that crowd. I feel like I can rule the world. I know I can be what I want to. Uh, I put my all in it like no days off. On the road, let's travel, never looking back. One time I went to an amateur fight in, uh, you've been there. It was at the, in Golden State Park or something. Yeah, Remember that? Dragon House. And there was like a thousand people there. And at the fight, you know how, so basically when people, before people get into a ring, the referee checks to make sure you don't have any weapons on you. It's just like a precaution, but that's like, they rub, they like rub your shorts to make sure you have a weapon. They check your gloves to make sure that there's not like cement in there. And then they also look at your fingers to make sure in MMA's case, you don't have uh, long nails. One time I went and they go, no, you got to cut your nails. And so they made an announcement and they go, does anyone have a nail trimmer? And someone and we waited for like three or five minutes and someone had to like run to Walgreens or something and bring a nail and he had to cut the nail. And I was like, hey, like, how did you not figure this out? Like, you know, 15 minutes ago, this nail thing is not new. Like, you should have checked this out before they came out. And B, it was just crazy. That's so funny that. Um, yeah. Every time they do those checks, I'm like, what has anybody ever discovered like a razor that this guy's sneaking into the cage? Like, no, they never do it. It's like just a. It's like a TSA pat down without ever, ever finding anything except for that. That's the first time I've ever heard that they like actually found well, a violation. One of the reasons they do it is in the 80s or 90s. There's this guy who's a real fa- it was a real famous fight. And this guy basically put his hand in like a cast. So right. it was like and they like they casted his. Yeah, yeah. They, it was called a Paris of plaster or whatever that phrase is. It, it's, it's like, it was like plaster. And then they put his gloves on. And they beat up and he beat up this guy so bad that the guy eventually killed himself because he had so much brain damage. It made him depressed. And like it was like a really bad thing. And so that's one of the reasons why they're like they check your gloves so much. It's such a big deal. Wow. The plaster caster. All right. I, 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 I feel like. Uh, well, I'm sorry that that guy died. And now I, I respect these checks. In fact, uh, I, too, got caught in TSA yesterday in a slow line. And missed my flight. So you know how I'm always two minutes late for this podcast? I was two minutes late for my flight and missed and my missed flight it. yesterday. Where were you and going? I was going down to, uh, I went down to Mexico, actually. So yesterday I went to Mexico and back. <laughs> what? Why? For uh, e-commerce stuff? For business, yeah. We were visiting a supplier uh, down there and I wanted to, um, you know, go check them out. And so, uh, yeah, one day trip, missed my flight. Uh, did the thing where I was in the good line, other line looked a little shorter. So I was like, let me optimize real quick, made the switch, took a mental note. I said, all right, that's my line buddy right there. We'll see who makes it first. He was long gone. He made the flight. I didn't make the flight. So I, I ended up and I have clear, I got all the shit to skip the lines still, still didn't make it. So that was kind of a, 
Yeah, well, it's fine. You know, now it's like, you know, whatever. The situation is just what the price I, you pay. It's the, exactly. That's the price I pay. The splinter is the cost of the wood, as I say. And, uh, and so that was, uh, that was, that was, you know, the start of my day. But dude, I crossed the border on foot yesterday. <laughs> I was like, you know, Donald Trump's enemy. I I literally walked across the border from Mexico back into the United States yesterday. How? I don't understand. <laughs> like I drove down. I got driven down to Mexico. They don't check you. So they're like, oh, yeah, come on in. It's fine. Like, you know, they, they don't they don't they don't really care. Um, but then to get back into the United States, they're like, hey, hey, well, you can't just walk into the United States. You got to show me some ID or whatever. And the guy who drove us down, he, the, or the guy we we're meeting for business, he was like, well, I have this like fast pass. That's like the global entry thing, but it's only for me. I can't just like bring other people in my car using that. So when we get up to the thing, you're going to hop out. You're going to get in this line with a bunch of other people trying to cross the border. And then I'll pick you up on the other side. <laughs> and so that's what we did. I crossed the border on foot yesterday, which is kind of a stunning experience. And, uh, it was amazing, dude. It was like it was just so different than anything else that I've ever. What were your peers like on the on the uh, my peers? Trail? Yeah, so my peers and <laughs> and uh, my peers and friends in line, they were, you know, a lot of like single mothers with kids. There was like you know not a whole lot of English going on. People, you know, uh, there was a gr- amazing rapper. So this this guy was rapping. I got a video of him, but I've, he had no call to action, dude. He had the. Like his top of funnel was amazing. His like rap was great. He had a speaker. He was, we were, he had a captive audience. Like we're stuck in line and he's just rapping to all of us and he's freestyling about us in Spanish. And so I'm sure he was just talking mad shit about me. But then I was like, wow, this guy's like got the, all the talent in the world. And so I was literally like, dude, I'm going to get this guy to like make a song. Like he'll do our outro for the podcast or something. Cause this guy's so good, but he's <laughs> yeah. got no, no I Instagram handle for my illegal crossing. <laughs> Uh, it was legal. Um, you know, it was a legal crossing and he was there and he was amazing. And but he had no sign, no name, no nothing, no, no English. So I couldn't like, dude, he was, that was his Kanye, Kanye moment. And I was his Jay-Z. I was ready to take him to the top, but he didn't have, he didn't have it there. So, you know, lesson learned as always give people a way to, uh, you know, to, 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 to take you forward, to give the call to action. Otherwise, you know, you might just be a rapper at the border for the rest of your life. If you don't, if you don't have that with you. Well, you should have told them that. I tried to, but you know, my Spanish stops at Biblioteca, so I kept saying library, <laughs> library. And he's like, What are you saying, man? I don't, I don't understand. And so, um, you know, that was that was the end of that. So let me tell you about something really quick. You have more ideas than I do. So let me let me go first and tell you about something because all right. So South by Southwest is going on this weekend. And I went to this dinner two nights ago that was pretty wild. So let me tell you about something uh, not entirely related or uh, tangentially related at first. Have you ever heard of the overview effect? Probably not. Right. The overview effect. No. Okay. The overview effect is a cognitive shift that affects how some astronauts uh, that affects some astronauts when they see the Earth from space. So basically, when you take a person, there's only been about six, seven hundred, eight hundred, something like that people in space. And when you take someone away from Earth in space, they basically start seeing themselves no longer as uh, they don't like identify with a particular nationality, a particular culture, a particular race, and they just see the world as like this like 
fragile thing floating around. And there's been tons of astronauts who they go up and they're like, wow, the earth is so fragile. It's so beautiful. It's just floating around and it's protected by this thin atmosphere. And basically it makes like so is it a bad seem- thing or a good thing to have the overview effect. Well, it's more, most likely a good thing, but really it's nothing. It's just like, it's just a different perspective where it's like, look, this idea of like nationalities and borders, like that's fine if those exist, but that's not really important. We're all just floating on this rock you know, trying to figure shit right. out. And it's just like, it, it, it changes how a lot of astronauts view the world. And they say, they're like, I, I'm different. It's almost like an LSD trip or something like that. And so it's this like really fascinating thing. And this one astronaut was astronaut was like, my life changed after that. Like, I'm not stressed out about certain stuff. I see us floating around on this fragile ball uh, throughout, you know, throughout space. And, and, and just these little things don't bother me because I think that all the, a lot of those problems are just made up. So it's kind of and he said, I think everyone should should be I wish that everyone can be able to experience this. So because of that, because of that idea, there's this one company that hosted a dinner that I went to and it was awesome. And uh, basically what they make is this like pod. It's like a, it's like the size of a really small room that can fit 10 people sitting down. It's like it looks like a, like a capsule, like a circle. And you sit down on this thing and above it is basically a hot air balloon. That's the size of a football field, a huge hot air balloon. And each person pays $50,000 and over six to eight hours, it brings you up above like a hundred thousand feet to the point of you kind of, you're not, I guess, technically in space, but it's the thing where you're like so high that you see like the black, you know, above you. And then you see like the dark above you and you can kind of see earth from a distance and you can start seeing different countries and they're doing this because they want you to the, like the whole shit is like, you know, once you see this, like your life changes and the first flights are going. It's called uh, Worldview. I think if you go to Worldview dot space, I think that's their URL. I've got nothing to do with this company. Although a friend just invited me to a free dinner um, and it was I have no idea if these guys are going to be able to pull it off, but it was a really good story. And this idea is crazy fascinating to me. Their first flights, I think, are going live like next year. Kind of interesting, right? So you, I thought the dinner was in the pod. I thought you went to space. That's kind of where, I, first of all, that's what I heard. I thought it was like, you know, the Space Needle restaurant. <laughs> it's like, I go in this tower. I spun around. I saw the whole city. I thought that's what you were saying you did for dinner. No, uh, my, my, like my friend John, like, does PR for this company. And he's like, hey, I got some spots. Do you want to come hang out? And it, I went and I actually met a few interesting people. So would you, Adrian, would you do Adrian this? Grenier was there, by the way. The guy, Entourage, uh, uh, Vinny Chase. He was there. Vinny. <laughs> and it was it was just this thing. Uh, would I do it? Definitely. Maybe not a for sure. No, not a for sure. Yes. I, I'm really afraid. Uh, I'm really claustrophobic. Definitely. Maybe. Possibly. No, probably. Yes. Is where you're at. <laughs> I would say, yeah, like the fifty thousand dollar thing to me, that's not a deal breaker because I think that's actually pretty uh, like. $50,000 to like change your life and see the world. Like, look at these pictures that's been showing. It's kind of interesting, right? Hey, let's take a quick break to tell you about our sponsor. It is a podcast that we want you to check out. It's called D2C Pod. It's hosted by Ramon Berrios and Blaine Bolas. It is brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network, the audio destination for business professionals. And this is a podcast about all things direct to consumer, D2C. It's e-commerce stores. It's how you optimize your brand. And they're talking with founders, marketers, and the platform creators about all kinds of things that you need to know for D2C. You know, website conversion, paid ads, Facebook ads, consumer trends, email marketing, If you want to know the stories behind your favorite brands, this podcast is for you. They did an episode recently about scaling creator growth and influencer incentives that I thought was pretty cool. So check it out. Listen to D2C Pod wherever you get your podcasts. 
Um, we're you're rich. We get it. Uh, fifty thousand dollars, not a big deal to you. Uh, no, so, so I, we, I we understand dude, that part. I, I just mean like if you want to like <laughs> buy like if you're gonna like have to buy a car or like experience this like I don't know. It's kind of like a, it's a compelling offer. Yeah, yeah. This is like you you described it as kind of like the uh, go do ayahuasca. Um, like change your perspective on life. <laughs> you know, it's like, seems like there's cheaper ways to change your perspective, but all right, that's a cool one. Dude, dude I had a friend, Matt uh, Kelly, who used to do a pod. I think he did a podcast. It wasn't even that popular of a podcast, but one of his listeners was this mega rich lady, this old rich lady. And she bought him and the other host two tickets on Virgin Galactic's first flight, like worth a quarter million dollars each or something like that. Why? So before this was, this was like multiple years before they even had the space flight, but they like they did the presale and this woman bought the two of this listener bought the two of them quarter million dollar tickets or something like that to go to space. It was kind of insane. And they did it. But I, at that time, it was like it wasn't even possible yet. Like Branson had just announced it. Now, I think those flights do run or they're about to run or something like that. So I, I don't know if you ever did it. If Well, Hey, worldview, we're giving you guys free PR. And we're giving you guys a shout out. If they offered you, Sean, a free opportunity to do this, would you do it? Um, no, I'm going to say no. I, I mean, bro, you could drive across the court, uh, across the border to Tijuana and walk back and walking across the border will change your perspective. That's free. <laughs> uh, so, you know, <laughs> I just did this for free. I changed my worldview dot Tijuana yesterday. <laughs> Well, you know, that's the, that's the, yeah, I wouldn't do this. Thing Actually, about per, the cool thing about perspectives is you can have many of them. So we can go into <laughs> Tijuana and yeah. also we can go to space. The, uh, this is a good hypothetical, which was, uh, this, I remember at one, one day at lunch at work, this was like the big debate. It was like, if you could go and be a part of the first, I don't know, space colony or something like that, um, like you get to be one of the first people to actually live in outer space, like in either in the moon base or like uh, Mars or something like that. I wouldn't even consider it. Of course. Would not. you do it? And no. I was like, hell no. And the, you know, it's like, why the risk? It's like, no, the boredom. What, what am I going to do out there? Like, I like yeah, my life no. here. I'm enjoying it so much. Like all I would do if I went out there, to be honest with you, I would just think about how I'm going to tell everybody about this when I get back. <laughs> like that'd be the only yeah. cool part about going there for me is like the momentary stunningness of how it looks. And then the content I'm going to get to come back to earth and talk about it. Dude, that's why I hate vacations. I feel like half the time it's just like, I just got to take a picture of my parents. <laughs> that's why I don't like vacations. So yeah, that's I'm why I don't board. post on Instagram. I, I just refuse to post on Instagram because I'm like, once I start performing here, this is just going to be another fucking place I perform. Uh, so, you know, choose wisely. I chose Twitter and my podcast and like, I don't know, my email list. Those are the only places I want to perform. I don't want to perform on like how cool my life is. I only want to perform on how cool my ideas are. And, uh, that's the, that's the one I want to perform probably better off performing nowhere and not, never having to think about that stuff. Well, I, I, I wasn't, we don't have to talk about this, but, uh, I want us to, I, I have three goals for us that I need to run by you. The first goal, 3 million downloads in one month by the end of the year. There's nothing you need to do. You okay. just show up. The second one, yeah. Um, I, I think you, we talked about this in-person interviews, and also get like proper famous people, like Arnold Schwarzenegger, or uh, you know, like a proper famous person that we could tell someone at the restaurant. When, so like when people are like, I went to the doctor yesterday, and they're like, "What do you do for a living?" And I'm like, "I host a podcast." And they're like, "Anyone? Oh, cool. Anyone you heard of?" I'm like, "No." 
you don't know who any of these people are. So like, like we need like a proper, like famous person. Like, you know, yeah, do that, you like, follow Steph Smith on Twitter? Yeah. No? Yeah. Oh, you don't know what Twitter is? Oh, no, not. <laughs> Never mind. Yeah. I, I'm like, unemployed. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't work. You know who Ariel Hawani is? Do you like UFC? It's, it's, it just doesn't work out. So we need like a proper famous person so I can get cred when I talk to strangers. And then finally, uh, an in-person event. We need, we need to have an MFM summit. And at that summit, I think you should do a 10-minute comedy bit. Oh, that's great, dude. Yeah, that would be the pressure I need. And also, it's also going to be the best audience I could ever get. It's like if I ever had a warm, a warm audience, like it's the motherfuckers that would pay to come, like, you know, the neckbeards that would pay to come see us at the summit, you know, hang out with us. Like they're that's the closest I'm going to get to a laugh. Yeah, <laughs> I think comedy. so. I think you can do it. I think you could pull it off. I think all in summit. Dude, why, is why are we not doing is, this at your ranch? It's not set up for like, I, what I think we should do is like three to 400 people. And I think that we should have like maybe two days of events where it's just like one or two times of us talking in front of everyone, but then lots of smaller sessions of people hanging out. And I think we should only charge like $500. So like just enough money to make like a profit that's interesting, but not high enough to where it prohibits people. Uh, all in summit is $7,500 for a ticket. Yeah. That's a bit pricey. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm not even getting to go to space or the border. So fuck that. <laughs> yeah. You can get like one fifth of the way to space with that, with the price of an all in summit. Do you, do you know how many tacos that gets you in Tijuana? $7,500. I could have literally fed the town of Tijuana yesterday with $7,500. <laughs> Um, what was I going to say? Oh, the, um, yeah, we should do this summit thing. Uh, why are we doing like, but uh, here's the trick. Okay. So like, um, if it's like a meetup for the conference and we, then it's like, oh shit, we got to have like, I don't know, speakers or like, you know, we have to do a good job. We just need to make this like a vacation. So like, we just need to make this, what would already be a cool vacation. Plus we're there and there's stuff going on. Uh, so, so I think this needs to be like a cruise. Um, and it's just a cruise ship and people can hang out for three days and we're there and other people are there. And there's some talks, but like fundamentally it's a cruise, which is already like, dude, this worst case scenario, it's a cruise <laughs> best case scenario. We are awesome on a cruise ship. I'm down. I, I, I would prefer not a cruise, but I get the idea and I'm down with that. And like we get you and me, Ben, uh, we get like a, like a Wilkinson, Steph, Maybe Rob Dyrdek will want to come. Uh, who I don't know. Like the now best you're guests. Name, name other non-famous guests. <laughs> yeah, I'm like he's the yeah, most. Do you, uh, we have like, a podcast. Do you use deodorant? Yeah. Oh, do you use all natural native? No. <laughs> there is one, and he was on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's like a. Oh, you you like Tom Cruise? Yeah, we had a guy on who looked just like him. <laughs> He has a keto blog, but he yeah. looks a lot like Tom Cruise. Yeah, he looks just like Tom Cruise. <laughs> um, All right, what do you got? Can I, can I tell you? Okay, so on this trip to Mexico, I saw three or four things that I was like, huh, tell me more. Okay, so I'm just going to go through them in rapid rapid succession. And by the way, I just got back like at midnight last night. So, um, you know, I haven't had time to like research a whole bunch of these. Is that things. your first time in Mexico? No, but I like, um, <laughs> I got shit on bad for the, the guy who's hosting me there. He's like, you guys are, so is this your first time in Mexico? 
I think because I was like, are we in Mexico right now? And he's like, yes. And I was, he's like, is this your first time? I was like, no, no, no. I've been to, um, he's like, don't say like Cancun or Cabo or like Acapulco. And I was like, yeah, those are the three that I've been to. He's like, okay, this is your first time to Mexico then. Dude, I, like, I right. hang out. Yeah, thank you. I, I've, I've hung out for like collectively a month or so in Mexico City. Mexico City's dope. Mexico City's awesome. I would live there for sure. That's what I heard. And then, I, so again, so first I, I, you know, like here's my, my, my conversation with this guy. So first I dig myself in the hole with the, are we in Mexico? And it's a yes. Then it's, <laughs> have you been to Mexico? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm trying to build rapport with my Cancun trip. He's like, no. And then the third one is like, but I heard Mexico City is awesome. I got a couple of friends who swear by it. Like they say it's like one of the best cities. He goes, yeah, I don't go there. It's super dangerous. I was like, what? <laughs> so everything I said, this guy like had like an extreme counterpunch to me. And I was like, all right, cool. I'm going to roll down the window and just stick my head out like a dog. Is that cool? He's like, yeah. <laughs> That's so, awesome. All right. So I go there and I'm looking at like, dude, have you ever been inside factories? You probably have, but I think most people haven't. Have Wait, you been inside like a, any kind of factory? Why do you think that I've been in a factory? You're going to be like, I don't know, like my fucking cousin Bubba has like a bubblegum factory and you're going to be like, Dude, I, <laughs> I went fishing for, I went fishing recently with my father-in-law and he's like, Hey, so how do I set this hook up? What do I do? I'm like, dude, I don't know. I've never gone fishing. He's like, why did, why did you just assume that I know how to do this? Oh, goes, dude, you, you seem look, like a guy. You just look yeah, you like you seem a, for sure like a guy who just goes fishing. No, I mean, I, I've watched documentaries on it. <laughs> like, so I know you, how to, you, I, you, you, do you or do you not have a favorite place to fish? <laughs> no, I, of course not. I don't have a fishing hole that I go to. Um, but no, I've, I've, I don't think I've been to a factory. Not really. Like, what type of factory? Doesn't matter. Any factory, whatever factory you go into, it's fucking mind blowing. How like even to go to a warehouse, like go to. A, have you ever been inside like an Amazon warehouse or like a yeah. like a food warehouse? Like how the food gets to restaurants. Um, yeah. it's insane. In the same way that like going to a farm is like slightly crazy, and you're like, whoa. I eat these, these, I eat these animals. Like, Oh, wow. Uh, you know, that doesn't seem right. <laughs> but like basically a factory, it is kind of stunning. Like if you take any object on like, okay, I am holding this microphone. This is sitting on my, this is the foam p cover of a microphone. There's some like huge factory that like is churning just, them out. If you just go back, trace the process of how this got to my desk. So, okay. I just go on Amazon. I just microphone. Uh, I don't know. Maybe this one I clicked that. I buy it. Right. So it goes from an Amazon warehouse onto a like Amazon warehouse, packs it into a carrier carrier, brings it to my house, puts the package on my doorstep. Okay, great. Well, how did it get to the Amazon warehouse? Well, first it was in probably like another warehouse before it even got sent to Amazon before that warehouse. It was in a factory being made by human beings. Or no, sorry, actually before that, before it got to the warehouse, it was on a boat in a container, like sailing from fucking China on a boat with human beings just living on the boat as it sails for months, you know, two months to, to the coast. And then it gets like, un, you know, like docked and separated out of a container ship and like humans beings are there in the factory. There's human beings, you know, I don't know how, how many, you know, small children died making this foam cover, but it's like the amount of work that goes into everything that's sitting in our house just arriving there is insane to me like just the materials so where did the material for this foam come from right there's like a you know if you're cotton right that starts in a field somewhere it's it gets plucked and it's pulled and it gets processed and it gets shipped and then it gets then it gets manufactured then it gets printed then it gets manufactured again it's like that is insane yeah where a lot stuff of energy 
to the point where I'm kind of like, we're kind of ruining the earth and also I've, people's lives. Like, you know, like to get a I canceled $20 my, t-shirt. Well, I canceled my Amazon Prime membership. I was like, man, I feel guilty. I like I, I order something and it's like so much energy behind the scenes went to ship this. Of course, I only see they ship a dongle to a computer, a small ass thing with <laughs> right. bubble wrap in a huge box. And I'm like, oh, this is horrible. It's And then I have to pay money to pay a truck to come pick it up because I it's too much, you know, boxes Carboard, for my. Yeah. Ugh. yeah. Then the, the truck, you know, burns gas and then takes it somewhere else and fucking dumps it somewhere. And then it's someone else's problem. Right. Like, so it's just kind of for, like on one hand, I'm amazed that the system even works. Like the fact that the package gets from the factory in Vietnam to the warehouse and then you go to the warehouse and there's like an unbelievable number of boxes and then they get sort you know picked and packed into the package and that gets shipped and you, if you ever go to the post office like if you go to the post office and you you should just ask them be like hey can i see what it's like behind the the door there they'd be like what why be like i just never seen a post office they'll open the door it is like santa's like you know elves factory basically it's like the most unbelievable number of packages and you're like where's the system like aren't there conveyor belts and they're like no nah, we just got these like trolleys and then we just kind of keep them like you know the ones going over there, they stay over in this area. And then we, we hope we don't lose them. It's like, wow, this is insane that this system is even crazy. works. It uh, is pretty crazy. It's, it's that like you, an incredible can, achievement. It's crazy. You can mail something from California to New York for like 45 cents. And it gets there in like four days. <laughs> yeah. That's what I'm saying. Pretty reliably. So I'm like, it, it is on one hand amazing. And on the other hand, it's horrifying the amount of like, I forget the environmental side, right? I'm not even that environmentally conscious. It's not like something that I think about all the time or I feel super guilty about. I actually feel more like the human energy and labor and just the amount of effort and resources it took to get this thing to me. It makes me think like, you know, we had that guy, uh, David Friedberg, come on the pod. You, you, you weren't there for that one. But the thing he's doing, which is basically like, hey, he's doing the same thing in the drink industry, which is like, instead of, you know, putting... 20 liters of water to grow grapes, then crush the grapes, turn it into wine, add sugar, add alcohol, pack it up, put it to a, you know, uh, send it to a, a bottling factory, then send it to a warehouse, then put it on a shelf in a store and then drive it home and then put it on a shelf in your home. Like he's like, why don't you just like manufacture it in your home using this little pr printer that'll print a drink for you. And, um, and it's like, Oh yeah, that cuts out like 90% of like the, the, you know, this like energy and like kind of resources and, and time and effort that goes into to bringing this drink to my, you know, you know, to be able to drink this drink. So I just feel like more than ever, that was like, the, that was the big wake up call. That was my going into space moment was realizing for every single product, every shirt, every pair of boxers, every sock that I own, how much goddamn like effort, labor, travel resources goes into it and realizing that that's not going to be the way. Um, that's not going to be the way forever. And like this kind of like 3D printing, you know, like sort of basically like manufacturing just in time at the end point and cutting out a whole bunch of these like factories and warehouses and all that other stuff that needs to happen was my big wake up call. I want to ask you about then what else is there that you can do that for. But before that, have you ever gotten into the buy it for life movement? You, have I told you about that? Um, no, but I think I understand it from that. What is it? It's like an eco-friendly so, way of like buying. Yeah. I, well, objects. I don't, it doesn't have to be rooted in eco-friendly. Uh, it's not for me, but it's a perk. There's a subreddit that I subscribe to is called buy it for life. And what you do is the, the idea is just how do you just consume less stuff and how do you just buy the best of something that hopefully can last forever? So an example, 
Uh, do you remember as a kid, did your mom ever have a KitchenAid mixer? Yes. Okay, so a KitchenAid mixer, KitchenAid's a brand, and the mixer, like, it's the thing with the bowl underneath it and, like, the arm that goes above it and spins. Those are, like, $600. They're really expensive. But they're famous for lasting, like, a lifetime. Like, you can use an antique one, and it works just as good. And another example is if you're going to buy, like, a, a coat, like, there's, like, um, you can maybe buy a really fancy leather coat, and you're willing to spend $2,000 as opposed to buying a $300 one because it could, like, last forever as long as you fit in it. Or Patagonia actually does that too. They'll fix your stuff forever. Or um, there's like a bunch of furniture. There's a bunch of shoes, like different types of shoes. You can buy it and instead of them whenever they wear down, instead of throwing, throwing them away, you can just get them fixed. And right. so it's the idea of like, how do you buy one thing forever? And it hopefully can last forever. Or buy ben, one thing one time ben, and it'll I, last forever. I feel like you do stuff like this, Ben. Do you, do you have like objects that you, uh, stuff that you buy that's like meant to, to sort of last? I don't know why. My hunch just tells me you do. The funny thing is my dad does this, but not out of like, um, like environmental justice ideas, but just like, because he's crazy that way of like, he drove the same car for 22 years and just like, couldn't bring himself to buy a new car and always shines his shoes. Cause he's owned the same shoes for like 40 years. And so that like kind of got ingrained in me as like a good way to live. And so I do do this a little bit. It's Sam, awesome. It's fun. Well, then, and also, like, some of your shit, as you wear it and it patinas, it actually looks cooler. Right. You're good at doing this, which is you identify these, like, lifestyle trends. It's like, do you know there's some people that are, like, you know, not eating food anymore? They're just drinking whatever, uh, Soylent or, you know, like, you know, there's people that just microdose LSD every day. And, like, these are kind of famous examples now. But I feel like you've told me about, like, 30 of these in the time that we've been friends. And you're like... Dude, have you seen this like, you know, subreddit called, you know, Fatfire or whatever? It's like you always have these like you you like pick up pretty quickly on like there's this weird, uh, not even weird. It's just like there's a group of people that are deciding to like live under a different sort of like paradigm or different motto or creed. And actually that I think you just like because it's interesting, but that also is like one of the best ways to build a business around that lifestyle because you can speak to that audience and you could differentiate, differentiate a product super easily to that crowd and i i seek the i seek those things out so there's a bunch of things that i i don't agree with or i don't i don't want to live my life that way but i love just like seeing it i like seeing how basically i love freaks i like weirdos i consider myself a weirdo and i and i, I love a good freak show i just love i'll see it like i remember I, I, the first time like three years ago i went to my friend's house and he didn't have a microwave i'm like what you don't have a microwave he's like well it's bad for this reasons and i was like you're a freak. Like, Mike, we all have microwaves. You're the weirdo. And then I used to start thinking about it. I'm like, well, okay, tell me, why are you, Why do you think you might be right? And I'm like, okay, there, maybe there's a point there. Or like uh, my friends, a lot of my friends now refuse to use plastic Tupperware or plastic, anything that you eat with. And I'm like, well, why? I just put my thing in microwave. Who cares? And so like, there's a bunch of little things like that that I love learning about. Yeah, I remember when Justin Mears came on, you you were like, let me guess. You don't have a microwave in your house. He's like, yep. And I was like, that's a fucking weird spot on question to ask somebody that I don't think you knew the answer to ahead of time. And then that got me thinking about that. This, this exact lifestyle you're talking about. In fact, Moy's, um, so Moy's started de native deodorant, which was around one of these trends, which was people wanted an all natural paraben free, aluminum free deodorant. And he saw that on Etsy, that was like a really high selling item, but it was like in the Etsy kind of handmade artis artisan goods like bubble. And his bet was that P 
people, once you kind of speak to that value system of like not having X, they might be willing to pay more and be become a like switch deodorant brands if you like built a brand around it. He recently tweeted something. He goes, billion dollar idea. Water that has not touched plastic. So it's a water brand that has only been like in glass containers or like, you know, basically like from the whatever, like the mountain that this was, was gotten. It hasn't touched plastic until it's reached your lips. And um, and I thought that was funny. It's like this this plastic thing is is uh, real. A lot of people are anti plastics. Uh, but yeah. so then that means like for every product where plastic is core, there's going to be a alt, alt product where plastic is not not like not used. So whether it's Tupperware or like for me, I drink water out of, you know, we get those big five gallon jugs or whatever delivered yeah. to the house out of a dispenser. That that's a plastic container. It's sitting in the whole time until I drink it. Right. So it's just a giant water bottle. And so there's like there's there's these trends where you can look at, OK, where is there like if there's an anti-plastic trend, where is there plastic and can I create an alternative? If there's a plant based vegan trend, how do I make alt milks, alt meat, alt whatever, right? That becomes like a, a, a blueprint to building a great business. So there's a few companies out right now. You might know their names. I'm going to try and look them up. But basically, uh, there's this trend amongst products that you use daily that you run out of. So like toothpaste, laundry detergent, uh, Advil bottles, things where the bottle isn't is just like a way to get it to you, but it's kind of bullshit that you have to throw it away. And so they're making all these products where they send to you one package and then they send you like whenever you need it, just a ref something to refill it like yep. or like, like literally something you pour into it. Um, do you know what they're called? Do you know what I'm no, talking about? But I've seen this for toothpaste um, and I think it's a great idea. I think this is a I'm, great I love business it. idea. Um, and I at first I thought it was small. I think Moyes was the one who told me. I'm pretty sure he said it's like killing it. Um, you don't know what I'm talking about? I forget what it is. Uh, no, I don't know I'll the have, name. Uh, I'll have to head. look up what it is, but it, it, they're crushing it. I know there's like um, four cleaners. I think there's one called Blue Land. I think doesn't Blue Land do this? Is it Blue Land? Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, and it, it's like chemical free com containers, and then they send you one container, and then they f you. You order something and they, I, I don't know exactly how they send it to you, but you just like pour it into the thing. Right. <laughs> they send you a plastic pouch that you throw away. Yeah. <laughs> it, I, yeah. I think it's like less, less bad. Um, by the way, speaking of these kind of like niche crazy people, I got two for you. So one is we talked, I think about um, anti R slash anti work. Do we talk about that on the podcast? I don't remember. I don't think we talked about it, but it pisses me off. So there's R slash anti work. Which you should explain that. And then I have another one that's the the counter to it. So first explain r slash anti-work. I don't even entirely know how to explain it. But it, it was I'll tell you the background from what if I remember correctly. It was started eight years ago. But uh, like in the last three years since the pandemic is when it really got popular. It was made up of a lot of people who were waiters and waitresses. And they were pissed off at how they were being treated. And it started out as like a labor mo movement thing. Like we need higher wages. We need this. Now it's like got 8 million, 10 million subscribers on su on the subreddit. And it's people complaining about like, you know, my manager said that like they fired me because I told them I was busy when I needed to come in. And they just basically shit on anything where it's like demanding of of workers. And so I think 
so so here's their here's I think their stated thing. Ben, you tell me if if I'm being too harsh on it. If you find a more generous explanation, but here's what it says: It is a subreddit for those who want to end work, are curious about ending work, and want to get the most out of a work-free life. The subreddit has cracked over 1.4 million members by the end of 2019, which so has got to be a lot more than that by now. It's eight million now, and it I went. Think. It oh, went sorry, one point eight. Oh my god. Sorry, I think one point eight. Uh, viral after a warehouse worker posted a screenshot of a text that they sent their boss. And then that basically made other workers, the other workers like kind of like saw that were inspired, did the same. And it was part of this, like, you know, the great resignation that people were talking about. And there was like this funny clip where they put, they took a mod from r slash anti-work and they went on Fox news. I don't know if you, have you seen this? Yeah. Clip? And this, the person got destroyed. It was embarrassing. Yeah, it's like anti-work person gets destroyed by, you know, Fox anchor is like the video, which I didn't like. And, uh, I didn't like, I mean, like, the, I hate when they do that. This person clearly well, like is the, not that smart, I think. And like they, it's very easy to set them up to look silly in that, in those cases. The subreddit also didn't like it. Cause they were like, dude, horrible representation of us on TV, um, did not articulate our points. And, um, you know, why did you go on there? Like this movement is not about you getting your personal fame, you know, to like do this. Um, we kind of, I think they had some rules around, like, we're not going to do appearances or speak to the media unless we kind of agree on what the message is. Um, and so this person went rogue, I guess, and, and did that, but, it, but they basically embarrassed themselves where they were like, yeah, I just don't want to work. And then guys like, okay, cool. So like, you know, do you, you don't want to work at all? Or like, no, I, like, I want to be able to do what I want to do. It's like, all right, what do you want to do? It's like, I want to teach people. I want to be, I want to be a teacher. And he's like, you want to be a, you want to be a teacher? <laughs> yeah, you know, should, should we let you teach? Basically was kind of like the, the end yeah. point that they were kind of making. But anyway, so this, there's anti-work, which went viral. Then there's, have you seen r slash overworked? No. What's that? It's the exact opposite. It's people who are using the pandemic, the kind of remote work lifestyle to be like, they call it having the multiple jobs at once. So um, like the, their lingo is like, oh yeah, my J1, which is like my job one. It's like J1 has great benefits. And so I'm just picking up my J2 and J2, I'm just going to do 10 hours a week with this, this, and this. And I'm going to use that to invest in these things, right? And so it's what? people scheming together about how to work multiple jobs at once in, as remote workers. Oftentimes, it seems like without the employers knowing that there are other jobs. <laughs> so they're like being simultaneously employed without being super overt about, it. I think that's the message. I could be wrong on that. And um, it's, it's people who are trying to get to financial freedom faster by saying like, yeah, like actually I have the capacity to do like multiple jobs. Um, you know, instead of sort of spending 40 hours a week on one job, it's like, I can actually do a good job in 20 hours a week on two jobs and get paid. But double. that's not, that, that's the optimistic way to look at it. The probably realistic way, like I'm looking at the top title and it says, J, my J3 job forgot about me today. And they say, I started my J3 yesterday. And by started, I mean, I was giving an orientation on Zoom and no one showed up. So now I'm just sitting here on the payroll. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's people who are like, yeah, let's beat the system. Um, <laughs> and so there's like a, basically like a counter movement. But that kind of always happens. There's like a... There's like the movement and then there's the counter movement that comes shortly after. And like it kind of polarizes. And then there's mainstream, which just does things the way they've been doing them. And they don't really pay too much attention to this stuff. And so, um, you know, that that's kind of common for for many, many, uh, many, many of these movements. I think subreddits are a great place to look for that. That's so interesting. So there's this book that I've been meaning to read. It's on my uh, uh, to read list and it's called Bullshit Jobs. 
And so it's this premise that like, I, I think it was a professor, some guy from School of Economics of London or something like that. And his whole like, I, I, I'm again, this from memory, I didn't research this much. Uh, the, his whole idea here is that most jobs out there in the world, like at least in white collar world, like it's it's just kind of unnecessary. Like and and to summarize it is like take a company like HubSpot, Amazon, Twitter, like what would happen if you like laid off two thirds of the people? Like would it would anything do we do we think anything would change other than the company would just make more profit? And this guy says, in in most cases, yeah, it would actually it would it would run just fine. And most of the jobs that you have are just worthless. <laughs> and I I kind of agree with him. I I I, I, I agree. With I him kind of well. agree. When I was, I, I don't have knowledge of it other than just personal experience. But I don't. It does yeah. sound like it. I and agree. it's hard because there's no counterfactuals, so you don't get to run the test and actually, you know, run, you can't split test and, and run run both versions and see which one ends up better. Um, but I, I've had this inkling for a while when we were getting acquired and I, we were getting acquired by Twitch and, and as part of it, they're like, Hey, you got to like, you know, basically like your whole team is going to come in for a day of interviews and that's going to decide kind of like if we take your whole team or not. And I had to do my interview as well. And so I'm going in there and they're like, you know, the classic job interview question, uh, job interview structure is like, well, I ask you a bunch of questions for 95% of it. And then the last 5% of it, I'm like, so do you have any questions for us? And then you're supposed to say something that's also just you showing off to like, you know, yeah. show some other strength of yours, you know, in, in a different way. And, um, and I had one genuine question. I asked it to every single person and they were kind of like taken aback slash. They thought I was kind of a jerk. Um, some people thought they reacted kind of well, like, Oh, that's refreshing. I don't know. I you know, hadn't really thought about it. Um, but I could tell other people were slightly offended by my question. And I, my question was, I would say how many people work at Twitch? And they would be like, uh, you know, I think we're at 1800 or 2000 people now. I said, um, and how many people do you think, I forgot how I phrased it, but it was something like, how many people do you think Twitch needs to uh, hit its goals? And I was like, how many people do you think should work here? All right. That's how many people do work here. How many people do you think should work here? And people were like, and so I asked the CEO this question too. And he was, he, I give him credit because he's someone who like prioritizes the truth over being right. Like getting it right is way better than being right. But he's also like a kind of a fierce debater. So he's not just going to like lay down and be like, Oh, you know, yeah, you're right. I changed my opinion about things. Like, so he like, he took the question and he didn't like, I would say nine out of 10 CEOs would get quite offended by this question. Cause it's basically implies you've mismanaged the company by bloating. It's a great, it. it's a great question. I would not be offended. He was not offended either. And he was like, he was like, that's a good question. He's like, I think like 2,200. So he's like, yeah, I think we're a little short of what we need to hit his goal. And he's like, he's, and then he, his take was basically like, you know, I'm not saying we have all the right people or the most talented people or that like, there's not people here who are underutilized or just kind of, you know, the fat. That wasn't really his point. It was like, I think we can be this much, this ambitious. And to do that, we would need, you know, like 2,200 awesome people like working in unison. Um, I still think he was wrong. I think we, I think, you know, the company could so have operated I, a third I, of the people. I, actually, I would have followed up with a few questions. The first one would be, okay, but do you think that you need to hire 2,200 people because you know that only 10% of them are going to be actually value add and you just have to hire the, the rest in order to find that 10%? And then I would say, and also, is it possible that you only, that you think you need 2,200 because you really only need like 20% effort from all those people. And that's what your expectation is. And then finally, 
how much does redundancy come into play here? How much do people, are you just paying them and you just don't want to mention to them, but you're paying them to sit on the bench and when the person next to them quits, they just are ready to roll. Right. Uh, yeah, I didn't, I didn't follow up that hardcore about it. Uh, but I think those are, you know, very like valid, valid points. And also, you know, one thing I, I kind of learned from him was like, let's take that redundancy one, right? It sounds bad, right? It sounds like, oh man, you're paying a bunch of people to kind of do nothing, just sit around. Because, no, it's insurance. And he's like, it, it, that was exactly his take, which was like, I think it was on speed. I was complaining how slow we were going. And he's like, speed, he's like, going slow is sometimes a feature, not a bug here. And he's like, um, or like innovation. I was like, oh man, we're not really innovating. Everybody else is. And he didn't say this outright, but I, I, you know, I gathered this through our conversations, which is like, there are some things we're going to innovate on, but actually the optimal strategy here is to let a bunch of startups go out and try to innovate. And then if anything works, either buy them or, or clone them. Like that is actually the best way for us to innovate. It's like, the, it's free. We get way more experiments done by super caliber, you know, super hungry, motivated people like startup founders and their teams who are laser focused on just that one thing. And they'll try radical experiments that we would never otherwise do. And we don't have to fund it, but we can sit back and watch it. And then when we're ready, we can either go try to acquire them, partner with them, or if they don't want to do any, either of those, we can build our own and just use our distribution and our brand, which, you know, we have, a, if we have, a, you know, X millions of users, then we should be able to outcompete them from there. And my uh, issue with, I think that's actually is this, the optimal strategy. I agree with Emmett. I think on most things, I, I imagine I would. Totally and by the way, I should, I should say, I'm not putting words in his mouth. This is like my, what I gathered from a bunch of bunch Some of different conversations. Things. I'm yeah. sure he would disagree with like, you know, 40 or 50% of what I just said. Uh, Some are totally. paraphrasing him poorly. Yeah. And it's just like your opinion on your takeaway, my take uh, of his takes. And I, uh, I think I would agree with, uh, I bet I, I would agree with a lot of, of what he thinks. My issue is when you're like a small company, like under 50 people, you're all in it. A lot of times you're in it for a mission. You're in it to achieve something. I think that you can get away with just being in it because you, people just like being in the thick of it with their friends. Uh, like they just like the action. When you get a little bit bigger, I think it's less mission oriented and you're and, and it's just a job. But you still have to put on this face like this to inspire people. And it kind of sucks because the truth is, is like, well, you know, I, I know that, you know, a lot of you are only working 40 percent and that's OK. I'm OK with that. I baked that into this. I know that a lot of you aren't working at all, but you're really just here in case the guy next to you quits. And then hopefully you're going to train the next person. And I know that a lot of you want to innovate and try these new things, but that's not really what we're going to do. We're going to keep doing the same shit, just a little bit better. And then maybe right. every once in a while, I'm going to have a team that makes something totally new. And I know all of this, but just tough and figuring out how to navigate and but have that like to say what I just said, but in a really inspiring way or unfortunately just lie. You got to lie or just act it is actually the best way. <laughs> yeah, just act. You got to just act and pretend um, and be a politician a little bit. I find that to be incredibly challenging, but I think it's incredibly necessary. Yes, uh, you, you're, you're spot on. Um, you're spot on with that. You are spot on with, with with what you just said. Do you think you could do it? Um, you know, the, I think the thing you said. So, you, have you ever heard of Dunbar's number? Yeah. What's it mean again? So, Dunbar's number is basically it's uh, 150. That's the number, and it's meant to represent the number of different, like how many people you, know you people? can know, how, like how many people you are familiar. You you like know their name, their face. How many yeah. people can one person know actually, right? Like somebody who's like, I got 6,000 friends. Like, no, well, you don't really know 6,000 people. 
And so Dunbar's number was was used to be 150. It's like in a tribe, you could know 150 up to, up to 150. You could know everybody in the tribe past 150. You don't know everybody in the tribe. And then tools like social media and stuff came out that kind of like it's like a tool for the human body to like do more. So like you might be able to know and keep up with more than 150 people now because Facebook makes it easy with a newsfeed and photos and their name is listed there and whatever. You get to see it all the time. I think what you're saying is like your version of Dunbar's number, which is 50. And it's like below this is Dunbar's Dunbar's number. I'll call it (laughs) below 50, (laughs) below 50. um, The people who are there are like, you know, down for the cause. Like the, 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 the larger prior, obviously they care about themselves, but like a bigger, like one of the top factors, either number one or number two can be like the cause. And then like, or even just like, like, just like, you know, like that kid who said he wants to do hood rat stuff with his friends. Like that, that could be the cause. Like, I just want to, I just, it's just, uh, there was a viral video, uh, like, uh, years ago and they interviewed this like nine year old who, um, stole his grandmother's car and crashed it. And the guy was like, why did you, why did you steal her car? That's, that was really bad of you. And he goes, he goes, I try to be good, but sometimes I just like doing hood rat stuff with my friends, like smoking cigarettes and driving cars. <laughs> play the video. Play the video, Ben. You got to play that really quick. Can you play it? Along the way, he ran over two mailboxes, hit two parked cars in a Costco parking lot, and struck two moving cars near Walmart. I want to do it because it's fun. fun to do bad things, to drive into a car. But did you know that you could perhaps kill somebody? Yes, but I wanted to do hood rat stuff with my friend. First of all, that's how I feel about startups. The YouTube feature for this podcast just took us to a whole new level already. First one is great. Second, we need to pull the clip of, yeah, just sometimes I want to do hood rat shit with my friends. And that needs to be a sound clip, Ben, that you can just play when me and Sam are talking about something dumb that we're doing. Uh, so just just go ahead and cut that one out. That, that's that's the, first. the best part about that's the best part about startups. Like, I don't care if it's ad tech. I don't care if I'm selling <laughs> clothing. I don't care. Like, you get it to do feels like shit. <laughs> when you're when you're like pulling shit off and you're like kind of fibbing to people and like, yeah, you know, we've been we're you know, we really care about our customers. Our team is it's like just three of you. And, you know, there's like you're just like trying to pretend that you're a big deal. Like that's hood rat shit. And I love doing that with my friends. But I wanted to do hood rat stuff with my friend. By the way, have you struggled to do that uh, at now that you're at a big enterprise, you know, SaaS company that's like worth billions of dollars and hood rat shit is now frowned upon? And you're like, I just yanked it. I yanked it. Um, you can't. And they're like, you just yanked it, Sam. Why did you do that? We have a process for that. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> because I definitely could think of like two or three examples where I was bragging about something I did that was like the startup scrappy thing. Like at what? Twitch. Well, I would just be like, yeah, like, you know, uh, like, for for example, there was like a competitor and I like went, met, I like talked to the founder and I was like, yeah, like, you know, I basically found out a bunch of their numbers and I was like, oh yeah, you know, they're growing this fast, this, how they're doing, blah, blah, blah. And they're like, well, how do you know that? And I was like, well, I talked to him. I, to- I told him I was interested in blah, blah, blah. And they're like, ooh. Uh, I was like, what? And they're like, well, you know, we just usually we don't mm, we do not do hood rat shit. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, it was like the, the reward I thought I was creating was like, well, we're going to need to talk to legal. And also Corp Dev is going to have to, you know, we have a guy whose job is to have those conversations. And we. We typically sign a letter of engagement before, you know, like whatever. It was like not the exact example, but like things that in the startup, when I was doing my startup, I would be so proud of my hack about like whatever. Or like I remember once I was negotiating a partnership deal and like 
basically also like really negotiating for like every like every inch, which as a startup, I used to love winning a deal, like doing it, getting a good deal for ourselves. And um, and they were just like, you know, they're like, you know what, like, we'd rather just use our standard deal and it's more favorable for him. So he'll be happy. And uh, we don't have to, like, you know, let you, like, negotiate deal by deal on these things. And like, you know, in general, we don't really want you negotiating directly with the person. We have like partnerships people who do that. You're and like I was like, yeah, but they Big were Lebowski. not negotiating. <laughs> you're like the Big Lebowski guy. It's like, dude, you need a toe? I'll get you a toe. Uh, I can, I, I'll get you a toe if you need a toe. Um, can I? Let me ask you a quick question before we wrap up. Um, do you think... Okay, it, th- th- this question isn't a good question because it is, in fact, possible. And I, I have many, of ex- many examples. But getting wealthy, like we're talking nine figures, liquid net worth wealth. Getting wealthy, do you think it is, inc- um, I want to say impossible, but it's not. So I have to change my change my question, but I'm going to say it with the possible anyway. Is it is it really hard to do it just from cash flow, or do you think you have to sell sell something, sell a business, sell real estate, sell something, capital gains versus income? You're saying liquid, so not paper, not 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 your paper net worth. Um liquid which includes thing, things that could be traded in 30 days um very hard very hard to do just off cash flow I, I believe um i think you know it's just much slower right because you can i mean just look at the basics right like when you sell something you're going to sell it for some multiple of the free cash flow that it's going to generate for you right and so so just by definition, right? 10 or 20 it, years. Oh, sometimes it's 5X, sometimes it's 10X, sometimes it's 20X, sometimes it's 3X, whatever. There's different multiples for different industries, but like fundamentally it's a multiple, which is a multiplier on how fast you're going to get the money, the value out. So let's say to get to a hundred million, uh, whatever number of years that would take, you then have to divide that by five. And that's like how fast at minimum you could have got there just selling the, the asset um, and get it and taking the 5X multiple, right? So, so, you know, of course you can get there, but do I know ways you can get there with the same speed? I don't think so. Cause e- even yeah, those so, are like, I take the cash flow, I invest it in a thing and then that thing grows faster. And like, I can sell my stake in that. So, you know, because like, it's like you, you have a choice so you could spend your time, you know, you could spend uh, your time building a service or some type of business where you can make significant cash flow two three million dollars a year, not work that much. But it's not necessarily an asset that could be sold. So there's a, a few businesses like this, or it could just be like, um, like w- the way the this podcast gets paid. Like it's not like a particularly maybe, but maybe the podcast is not a good example. But it's not you know what I mean. Not necessarily yep. an asset. Like your Maven course. Your Maven course is not an asset that could be sold. Yeah. But it could potentially make many millions of dollars a year. Versus you just say, you know what? Screw it. I'm not doing that because I have to build a business that could sell. So do you prefer? Do you think? cash flow or, or 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 an entity an asset that is independent of you and can be sold um i don't know i don't think do i prefer is really the right way to think about it it's like you need both right like for example um i you need both for two reasons one is maybe you're going to use the cash flow to invest right maybe what you're going to do is you're going to buy great assets and let them compound over time well where are you going to get the cash flow to begin with right when we had andrew on that last week he's like i I took the cash flow from the design agency of Meta Lab, and I used it to buy majority stakes and all these other businesses. 
and then let those compound over 10 years and like, boom, you know, so he reached, you know, that goal and more uh, doing that. And so, you you know, maybe you need the cash flow to make those investments, right? Like if you, if you don't have no cash flow, how are you going to invest in anything? And secondly, um, I like to live a good lifestyle. So sometimes cash flow businesses are great because it's like, yeah, I sure compounding is awesome, but so is, you know, like fucking, I don't know, Gucci shoes or whatever. Like choose your, choose your thing you're into. Like, yeah, Gucci shoes. Like sometimes those are better than like this yeah, dude, 20 year buy hear- hold asset. Whenever I hear Buffett talk about the long term and like patience, I'm like, bitch, you're like 95. Like there is no long term. There is, you don't have pay, you, sh- you shouldn't have patience anymore. You should have like you should immediately spend whatever you want to spend. There is no such thing as a long term view for you. <laughs> Sam Parr. Let's see like the headline. Sam Parr colon to Warren Buffett. Bitch, you're 95. There is no long term. You're well, right. That's he, what I think he about. needs to well, pivot his strategy. <laughs> well, I'm just like, you know, like if you want to do extremists, you have to be fine. But like, and Bezos talks about this too. He's like a long time. I'm like, I mean, you don't really, who cares? Like, you know, just live life how you want to live. You got it. Yeah. And so I've always, it's like, why are you delaying? It always, it always pissed me off. I'm like, why are you delaying to have the best time of your, of your life when you're like old and don't even want to do shit? Right. Like you, you don't have to do that anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, and you know, <laughs> some, some people are happy along the way. That's that's fine. But like, uh, but yeah, I feel like you had it. I feel like you asked me this question because you had an opinion or a story. So let's just skip to that no, part because I think you have a good I, opinion I, or story on this. I don't have a no. I don't have an opinion yet. But I'm like with my life now. It's like I can. I I think that in. I think in six to. And uh, I think in a matter of six months, I could probably create a business from scratch that does a million dollars a year in profit. It would be based off of like my image. I'm not saying I have that. I'm just saying like, I, I'm sure I could do that. Plus with like a couple other side projects, I think I could very realistically have two or $3 million a year in cash flow. Easily. But very, but yeah, easy. And maybe I do already have that. I'm not, I don't even want to say I do or do not, but I... <laughs> <laughs> but you know, like if you did that would have been a weird way to say it, it would have been a weird hypothetical but okay let's continue on <laughs> i got some cool shit going on i'll say but and i'm thinking about where do i spend my time and i'm like is it actually worth it like or should you just not care about cash flow and build something that's like much bigger that you could sell i don't know i'm just trying to figure out like where do you actually spend time the real answer is what gives you most joy yeah uh, exactly and and like uh, whether uh, you don't work backwards from do I want cash flow or do I want long term you know capital gains? That's not like the starting point of a decision. Um, you kind of just need to make sure you're winning in one way or the other. Uh, don't be weak in either area or like don't be weak in both. Basically, is like the way to do it. Like for example, you could buy a home in San Francisco. You're gonna have terrible income from that property. It's not a good income property because in most places in San Francisco, your rent, uh, the rent you could charge somebody, is not gonna outpay the mortgage plus taxes and insurance. But you can go buy, you know, some home in whatever, you know, Houston or something like that. It can cash flow $1,000, $2,000 a month. And it's good income property, but it's, you know, going to appreciate super fucking slow. Whereas the the San Francisco home, you know, in 10 years is going to have, you know, whatever, more than doubled in in value. And so, you know, it's, there's appreciation properties and income properties, same thing. Like, I think you just do whatever gives you the kind of whatever's whatever gives you juice today and you think might give you juice going forward. And then you got to say, all right, before I do this, I got to make sure it's going to be strong in either one of these. Either it's got to be awesome for cash flow or it's got to be awesome for for uh, appreciation. 
And if it's awesome for cash flow, basically, I'm just going to use the cash flow to buy assets that are going to appreciate with somebody else doing the work instead of me doing the work. It's you kind of end up at the same point either way. Yeah, I don't know. I've just been thinking about like how to spend time. You know who's killing it and has done a really good job of like putting off making cash is our friend Nick Huber. I am an investor and so I get to see some of the numbers of his storage deals and I don't think he crushed it like in terms of personal cash flow for a long time but like the way that things have compounded I'm like oh holy moly if you just eat shit for like six seven years and pick the right asset things look really cool yeah yeah I think he's done great and also I think he is like a I think he personally has great terms for with his investors meaning like I think it's quite favorable to him yeah, incredibly not in a bad way, but like he makes sure he gets to eat, <laughs> right? Whereas at the beginning, if you have no capital, you like, you know, you sort of make a deal with the devil in a way where you're like, all right, I'm going to take no management fees, no acquisition fees and a low carry. And I think now he's like, look, I'm good and I know it. So I'm going to take a higher fee, higher, ca- higher acquisition fee. And I'm going to uh, take, you know, my, my healthy carry. Um, so, you know, I, you know, good on him. I think a lot of people in real estate are able to do that pretty well. Uh, I know somebody who's crushing it in real estate and they... They do just that. They they have like a you know fifty percent carry on the deal or something something crazy, and they're like yeah because my deals are awesome. I make hits and I win. So like it, it doesn't make sense for me to do this at any less than that. And I'm like, there's this okay, uh, that, that's like next level winning. There's this awesome you know who Foo Fighters are you know Dave Grohl Dave Grohl's the lead singer the of Foo Fighters yeah. yeah and they've been writing hits forever and before that he was the drummer in Nirvana so he's like just wrote hit after hit for a long time. And someone asked him about, uh, he's like, um, you know, you write hits and and what's your process? And like uh, a, a fan was asking about old music and he, and, but, and he stopped. He goes, wait a minute, let me cut you off here. He goes, I don't write deep cuts. I write hits. And he was just like, he's like, everything I write, I write it to be a hit. Sometimes it is, sometimes it isn't, but it, it's, it's all meant to be. And that's like your real estate friends. He's like, I write hits. That's why he gets that 50% yeah. carry. <laughs> exactly exactly and respect i i respect somebody who's like i'm playing the game and i play to win the game you know i'm not playing something else <laughs> i'm not gonna tell you i'm not playing the game i am playing the game and i'm playing to win that's actually like uh i really respect people who just clearly play the game and they're like open about it and they're like yeah i play the game i'm playing to win and here's you know like good if you d- if you dislike the game or dislike me that is your your choice and I actually dislike people that are the like uh, virtue signal types where it's like they are playing the game, but they'll do anything in their power to like make it look like they're not playing the game. And there's a lot of that, like in Silicon Valley, there's a lot of that. Here's how that plays out that I see. There's person starts the company bullshits about like why they're doing the company or why this problem is the problem they decided to spend their the life on. It's like, no, bitch, you're like you're, you know, you're doing this because it's good business, not because you really wanted to help, you know, small to medium sized enterprise businesses save money on whatever, right? Like that wasn't your actual intention. You probably like that, that you have happy customers and that they're good. You know, you're helping them, but like, let's be real. It's like, uh, if I took away the, the money, world. you'd stop. One cloud. Have you ever seen on Silicon Valley? They go, we're <laughs> saving the world one cloud processor at a time. Or some bullshit. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like, yeah. So, and then they're like, they're like at the, they're like, uh, someone calls them out. They're like, dude, this is all rich guy. Like Kid Rock just was the the singer for the for the uh, for the show, and he's the poorest guy here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so, 
So I think in Silicon Valley, you see that a lot. You'll also see that with the origin story about like, you know, why they decided to do this. You're like, oh, are you sure you decided to do this because, you know, your cousin got diagnosed with this, you know, rare thing and that's why? Or or was it that you ran paid ads at five different products and this was the one with the highest click-through rate? Because I'm pretty sure when I was talking to you, it was, this was the highest click-through rate. All right, cool. That's my company, right? Like, there's a lot of that. Um, so the other one the, the is... Guy, okay. The guy who started Dollar Shave Club, um, I saw an interview with him and some of the times he's like, I started Dollar Shave Club because I was just sick of going to Walgreens and I had to ask them to like open up the razors. And then another interview, he was like, he's like, man, my father-in-law is like crazy and he likes just to buy random stuff. And one time he bought a shipping container full of cheap razors and we just had to figure out a way how to sell them all. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that's why we did it. Exactly. And you know, I'm in the 2% of the population. I think you are too, where we're like, Oh, sweet. Respect for trying to flip the storage container and then realizing there's a business there versus yeah. like, you know, I, uh, the, the, the kind of like the shark tank version of the story, which was like, we were just so fed up with our options. Right. And like, I get, again, <laughs> I get it. I've done that. I might do that again, but I, am I a little bit disgusted by it? Yes. Uh, same <laughs> thing with <laughs> same thing with, I'll do that. usually when I have business partners, not when it's my own business. Um, like when, when, when I'm, when I'm the only, when I get to just be a cowboy on my own, I'll just do what I want and be like, yeah, I don't care if this is bad for the business. It's fine. The, um, the other day I ate a, I ate an entire jar in one sitting of peanut butter from, and it was the Jiffy cheap shit. And I just felt so bad about myself, but I didn't regret it. And that's kind of like how you feel. But I wanted to do whoever stuff for my friend. <laughs> Mission statements are like a, a pint of Ben and Jerry's. Like if it, 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 it feels good doing it and you may not regret it, but, but <laughs> you feel guilty about yourself. <laughs> The, the other version of this is like people who on Twitter are like, uh, they call themselves like shit posters or they're like, you know, they basically, yeah. they basically try to signal like, you know, I'm not going to just, I'm not one of those investors who blogs about content and tries to, yeah, I'm a cool mom. I'll tell you the real deal and I'll, I'll make jokes and blah, blah, blah. It's like, they're the ones trying to carefully curate their brand more than anyone. If you actually meet these people, they're like so conscious about their brand uh, and like, you know, how, how many followers they're getting and like how viral their stuff is going. And like, they are, you know, like uh, <laughs> they're, they're, they are so meticulous about that stuff while trying to give off their appearance. It's like bedhead, right? It's like, Oh no, I just woke up like this. It's like, Oh, are you sure you don't use a product called bedhead that like, you know, like makes it look right. slightly messy, but like, you know, you're actually caring where every strand of hair goes. And so, you know, I have more respect for like, um, people who are like, yeah, like, you know, like pomp or Sahil or they're like, yeah, like people really like to hear about Bitcoin. So I just tweet Bitcoin shit all the time. It's great. Like I like Bitcoin and they like Bitcoin. So I'll just tweet, like, I'll just set up a calendar. And I'll be like, yeah, I'm going to tweet Bitcoin stuff because I figured if I get a big Bitcoin following, that'll be really, like, really good for me. Or, or like, awesome. you know, Sahil's like, yeah, I put it, I put out these threads uh, about these like finance topics because I think I'm good at it and they go viral and then it gives me all these dope connections versus like, you know, I just want, like, I feel that knowledge is, um, you know, knowledge needs to be accessible for all and free. And that's yeah, why we need I need to democratize knowledge. To, yeah. I want to democratize financial knowledge. Like I used to work on wall street and the insiders know things that they, the rest of us don't. So I quit my job and started writing Twitter threads about finance to democratize finance. It's like, no, 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 no. You, you didn't do any of that. You wanted followers. <laughs> and so you did what it took to get followers. Have you noticed how the word democratize is the new disrupt? D democratize is like, you know, what is democratize? Uh, it's the new democratize disrupt, is the new, like, um, no offense, but 
that's a democratize democratize is like i'm about to fool you this is good for me and not good for you but i'm gonna fool you by saying i'm democratizing something for you by my service by my product (laughs) yeah by the way i I do all that i do this myself i I, again i know it i spot it because i got it right i've done all this before with my e-commerce brand i've done the origin story thing with uh my fund i do this too like my fund is called the all access fund because i wanted to give access to every access to all to be able to invest in the deals i do do I feel good that other people get access to good Silicon Valley deals? Yeah, sure. Is that why I did the fund? Fuck no, that's not why I did the fund, right? I did the fund because I was writing checks and I wanted to write bigger checks and more checks into more companies that had more, and that was more than my personal bankroll would allow. So I raised money from other people to do that. And I get, you know, like, and so now I get to write more checks into more awesome companies. That's why I raised the fund, not because I wanted to democratize access to like, you know, angel investing for like, you know, a, 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 a middle school teacher in uh, Tennessee. I can't stand democratize it, but we're going to democratize this by only charging you $50,000 for this piece of clothing instead of them. Like I, I've seen people like we're going to democratize knowledge and it's like a $5,000 course. I'm like, Ugh, not really, <laughs> dude. Um, <laughs> could you, ben, oh, you could democratize these nuts. What do you think, Ben? Was today, uh, were we with it or what? I thought today was a hit. I thought today was a huge hit. This is, uh, yeah, other than like the Steph Smith episodes or Rob Deerdeck, this is, uh, this is a plus territory. Did I not say at the beginning that this was going to be a fire episode and I had the juice? You did say, although I actually, the, the beginning was a little bit slower. Um, but it was once you guys started getting into those trends and you were just hitting people, there was like, if you capitalize on one of those trends, you guys like there are like 20, 30 good businesses you could start with ideas that were thrown out today. Ah, great. And, are we going to have to cut out then, my uh, democratized these nuts? <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 don't Yikes. do it to us. <laughs> yeah. And then, we'll, so we, we have to plan the MFM summit. So uh, I agree that making it destination is cool. I have a thing that I, you're gonna have to bleep bleep out what I'm yeah. about to say, but I, I know the thing. I know the thing. Yeah, yeah. I got the guy. I got a really like famous house. That person might be interested in hosting us. But, I don't but know. That's if that just is. gonna be a dinner, right? Like that's gonna be like no, 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 no. We, we we might be able to do a proper thing there, but I don't know if the logistics are, are gonna work out. So I think, but but I think that we could do like something outrageous. You know, I, we have to think about what outrageous means, but I do think we could have something outrageous. I think a cruise ship. I like it. That, that's a, that's not a bad idea. A cruise ship or like some type of famous venue or fuck. We could just go to Hawaii. Just do it like in the beach in Hawaii. We can figure yeah. something out. But we do need to do like a summit. To fly out. Like if people are going to have to travel for it, I think to get the value again, the, the easiest hack is first make it a couple days where people get to hang and meet each other. So do it, make it like a two day thing. And then, and then secondly, um, just make it already fun if it was just a vacation, if there was no content on top. But it's like, then you combine some content, uh, getting to meet us and getting to meet other people in the community. Plus, already it was a good, like, kind of vacation type experience. Then that's cool. Right. And, like, I don't know, let's do like bring a fitness component, bring a like, let's bring all the components of the stuff we talk about where there's like, you know, experiences beyond sitting down and listening to people talk. It's like, why not do a group workout or like, let's get an MMA guy to like, you know, take us through a set, like take people through a session or something. I don't know, like something like that. Down. All right. Let's schedule it. I, I do. Do you like that $500 price mark price point? 
this, I mean, we should do this as an NFT, no doubt. We should make this an NFT and then only NFT holders can attend and then they could flip their NFT to somebody else if they want to, but make it a limited number of NFTs uh, for this. Yeah. All right. That's it. All right. That's the episode. I feel like I can rule the world. I know I could be what I want to. I put my all in it like no days off. On the road, let's travel, never looking back. Like-